dig a pygmy by Charles Hawtrey and the Deaf Aids. Phase one in which Doris gets her oats. Welcome to Move Left Idiots, a socialist talk podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Monterulo, uh, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's That's happening? That's right. Just the two of us on our way home. Uh, <laughs> two lads podcasting two, about... Uh, two lads trying to keep the band together, trying, <laughs> trying desperately to, to stop the inevitable, um, but knowing there's no way. Uh, yeah, so like you, uh, this last weekend, the holiday and, and seemingly everybody, weekend, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are, young you are, like you know who the fucking Beatles are, and you probably know everything about them or close to, or thought you did, uh, like me, you know, when I was a young teenager, you can start getting into music and really quickly, like, you figure out who the Beatles are, like, right. whether, you, whether you know them or not, like, you know, when I was like a little, little kid, I knew who Michael Jackson was. And I'm sure I heard Beatles songs on the radio. I didn't really know who they were until I was at probably 12 or 13, right? When you really start like buying your own records, right? Right. And then you fall down this rabbit hole of like being fucking obsessed, right? Mm-hmm. Because you you get into it and you're just like, oh my God, oh my God. And then, you know, later on you kind of, you know, you, you get through that and you get into like Led Zeppelin and fucking CCR and like, you know, uh, fucking... Uh, you know steely dan like you just you go through the whole you go gamut. from go from there from all the people that they've basically right. you know created or influenced right. but well, yeah. and i was still of course into nirvana uh, and pearl jam soundgarden all that shit but you know we had a great revival of anti-authoritarian rock music in the early 90s that was over by 1995 um but yep. at the same time it was like you know back then like the Beatles anthology albums came out and that huge fucking people complain that this thing was, you know, get back was eight <laughs> hours long. They forget that the Beatles anthology thing on, on fucking NBC like or 10 parts or some shit. What's like it was 16 like 16 fucking hours. Yeah. And it's, it's all like talking head bullshit that, that I don't care about. That's it's so much this. duller than this. This is yes. so much more interesting. Than, is, I, and I've watched all of that too. And I, yeah. I will say, but yeah, this is so much better than yeah. watching fucking anthology. Well, the, the thing at the time though, too, is just, you know, like all of our parents, when I was a young teenager, all of our, all of our parents were remarking how crazy it was that we were into the music they were into right. instead of just like rejecting it you know outright be- just because it was our parents generation and it's like yeah mom dad that's because your generation's musicians were the first generation to be real fucking high on drugs right <laughs> that's the reason why <laughs> so right well and and i and i definitely early in like like you know maybe like 10 11 12 went through like oh i don't really like the beatles phase because my stepdad was like the world's biggest be- like you know has beetle memorabilia all oh, right. around it's just the shit you do and then like when you actually start like you said getting into music and finding music for yourself and you hear all of your favorite bands talking about how the beatles were like the biggest influence who is that guy that. who is like the ceo of that tech startup mm-hmm. in silicon valley that like would play Jimi hendrix 
at all hours of the day on speakers in the entire office and just like ruined Jimi Hendrix for that entire conversation. I, I never heard the story. Was it, it wasn't, was it Steve Jobs? No, it was some other guy that like was like that. It was like, hey, I'm oh, hip wow. and cool. And then like you know, ruined <laughs> Right, Hendrix for everybody by forcing the entire company to listen to Jimi Hendrix every day. So, yeah, all day. It's, it's it's a lot like that when you know when I was young. But then, <laughs> but no, and then like you said, you get into them, and then I and, and I also got super obsessed and like read a bunch of Beatles biography, which is why this was such a revelation to me. Because yes, I, you know, I read a lot of Beatles biographies when I was younger, and you get a certain mental image of the of all of these events unfolding, right? And you know, you see. A movie like Let It Be, the original 1970 uh, film that was using the same footage as Get Back, um, which I, I mean, I, you you couldn't even like you know other than matching up the scenes, it's just a completely different film. It's, so you get yeah, a complete. I read, yeah, I read one review that was mm. like the guy that actually shot this must have been so pissed off that they didn't want to go to Libya that he deliberately <laughs> sabotaged his own film by not showing all the fucking shit he had in the can. I mean, it's unbelievable. That whole movie is just a fucking bland, dour. You would think that they were ready to kill each other those entire sessions. <clears throat> and you watch Get Back, you watch the seven hours of Get Back, and you're like, oh, no, these guys are, like, the best friends in the world. And they're, you know, they're having, there's definitely some strain, but, like, it, it it's, a mo- it's a mostly really joyous documentary. Like, it, I, I've really got a completely incorrect uh perception of, of of the recording of let it be it was, from right and and I've, let it be, I've the original movie to the point where like like when i go visit my mother she has like serious radio on her car at all right. times and normally just has like the beatles station on and it's just it's like <clears throat> she'll fucking like sing along with it but mom sings <laughs> off key so i'm always kind of just like cringing like oh mom come on but i know <laughs> that like i only have so oh, many more like- years that my mother's going to be around and someday I'm going to be fucking like, you know, I'll, I'll miss her off key singing along with the Beatles. Right. Yeah. yeah and, but yeah. it's, it's still, it's also kind of like, like, I feel like I've heard every Beatles song so many times that like, there's nothing new. There's nothing right. new to take in or feel there. And then I see this and I'm like, Holy fucking shit. It's like, That's- I'm hearing them all for the first time again and seeing something that like we've never seen before that nobody's seen this before. And you were seeing, and that's the, the craziest thing is we were seeing it for the first time because we literally watch Paul McCartney just sitting there fucking around with his bass and just starts like, you know, and he just starts like scatting, you know, nonsense syllables and just fucking starts pulling the lyrics to get back out of thin air. And it's like, it's such an, it, it, it's a song that's so, I, all these songs are so iconic and so, you know, ingrained in your brain and, and to see somebody just kind of like, fucking putzing around and like just pulling this iconic song out of the ether is one of the craziest things i've ever seen like on on in a documentary and i know it's you know that's how songwriting happens but this was easily the most you know humanizing thing i think i've ever seen it was the first like and i've consumed a lot of you know like i said document or documentaries and books and shit this is the first time i really felt like it's just four guys it's just four pe- four dudes like four people like you know it, it, it's not this iconic you know revered uh you know these four greatest musicians ever four the greatest band ever. like they just seem like dudes like really kind of kind of fun dudes to hang around with like just right. well it, and it's really know, yeah when when you think about the total arc of their career mm-hmm. as a band you know it's it's like eight nine years that's it but in that time they put out like fucking 15 records 15 full right. albums 
but most of them were fucking teeny bopper shit. Right. And very quickly they got sick of that and were like, Hey, we're going to go do some artsy shit. And of course people like, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Amanda Marcotti, uh, hates them for that because <laughs> sexism is when men won't play music that women can dance to is literally what she says in her article. Uh, Amanda Marcotti, who uh, should be reminded that uh, wrote an article titled "Liberals Should Root for Trump." He'll be easier to beat than Rubio and Cruz. Right, just so. a completely uh, joyless, terrible person. Yeah. You but, have to um, be. You have to be just the worst person to hate the Beatles. But <laughs> well, and, but, and and even like it's like I think sixty three or sixty four was when they came over to the U.S. So, I mean, really, and like you know, like six years, like they, they came out with almost every iconic Beatles song, but I have this sense sense in my brain that like when they got famous, they were already like 25 years old. And then when they broke up, they were like in their early thirties. And then you watch this and it's like, Oh no, no. Ringo is 28 and he's the oldest one in this movie. George Harrison was 25 in this movie. He's 25. I mean, I guess like the facial hair and the fact they're already married and have kids kind of like fools you a little bit. His but, face you know, is also pretty, pretty beat. Like just his oh, skin's pretty weather. You know, he's John looked people, like shit. John was doing all heroin. John was doing heroin back then. I don't know if people know that, but John Lennon was doing heroin. Oh yeah. Yeah. You could, um, I mean, you could tell certain days he came in where his like neck was all red and his face was all like blotched. Like oh, yeah, he just, he's, he's got that got cut on his neck when he nicked himself shaving. Right. right. You could you tell he was fucked up places, that day. But, but yeah, yeah, they're fucking young. They're younger than we, I, I couldn't believe how young they were. And it's oh, just like. I know. I was looking at him like there's not like a single line under Paul McCartney's eyes anywhere. And I'm like, did they like do like a de-aging <laughs> fucking, you know, uh, Last Irishman, whatever that fucking movie was called thing. De Niro and those guys. No, but they just it, it but the film, the film looks so fucking good. I mean, they shot this on 16, blew it up to 35. And Peter Jackson, who directed this, you know, <clears throat> did The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Um I want to hold they that did a documentary um, where he restored all this World War One footage, and they did a similar process, although they weren't colorized <clears> and <throat> probably didn't have to restore right. the footage as much here. But still, just like you know, I this is kitty shit 4K. compared to color, yeah, colorizing like World War One footage. This is like a right. walk in the park for those guys. Well, and um, I'm sure if this thing's been sitting in in a vault, uh, you know, wherever whoever had it, it wasn't in that bad a shape in the first place. But still, right, it right. looks incredible. And just, just to, I mean, because people, people complained, you know, people that reviewed this said, did it really need to be eight hours? I remember one article was like, you know, Peter Jackson's problem with bloated run times. And it's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, right. is, it's not a fight. Were you in a movie theater? No. So shut the fuck up. You can no. watch it at your leisure, you know? Exactly. Like, it's, 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 it's it, but then they say, they praise how good all of it is. It's like, no one goes right. to a restaurant and says, I, dude, I, this food is the best food I've ever had. I'm just mad that there's so much of it. Nobody right. fucking says that. Wrap it up. Take it home. Finish it later. That's the fucking, <laughs> like, you fucking idiot. And there's so much here that you would never <laughs> want to leave out. He, he said in interviews, I'm like, I don't want this to go back into a vault for another 50 years and have people not see it. Right. Because, because you're not going to see what I've seen. And if I don't show you, it's, it's a crime. Basically. And there's so much more that he said. I mean, there was 60 hours of footage and like 60 another hours of footage, 150 hours of audio. And he's even hinted that he might do a director's cut and do an even longer version, which <laughs> I would fucking I'm, I'm like Kylo Ren from Last Jedi, just screaming more, <laughs> more. Right. more. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. No, and there's some songs that we didn't see the even the original takes. You know, like a, the cool thing towards the end of the movie was that it would show on screen like midway through a take where you're like, oh, they're really fucking cooking. Like this is the take that appeared on Let It Be. So this is oh, you can them tell. recording, and it's like, wow, exactly. And you would hear like little bits of them, just like their banter that would get cut into the album, right? You know, that you're like, hey, that, that's you know, I'm like like the fucking. Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, uh, Hollywood meme of you know we point at the screen like <laughs> right. I'd be like literally I'd be on the edge of my couch just like point the screen like that's the thing from the thing. <laughs> I recognize that right. I said that reference. Right. Um, no, it, it's just yeah, it, it's amazing just to to sit with them and and you know uh, I I, I could have watched another eight hours like I had no and no point was I like man this this really couldn't didn't need to make right. the cut because like yeah, it was the, just, the only thing that is a little grating and this is just part of the process of how you write songs is that they're not doing full takes of the tracks they're constantly starting right. and stopping which can be jarring when you're used to the song continuing <laughs> right. and you're you're kind of like yeah all right and then it's like wait why'd you stop <laughs> it's just like <laughs> stop doing that but it's like you got to realize like they don't they don't know the song yet they're creating something that you've heard thousands of times and now you're getting to see the process and the process can be slow it can be frenetic it can be frustrating it can be funny it can be heartbreaking it can be rapturous and it's all there right right um i want to read a little and, bit from yeah. um yeah uh from I, i've read like at least a dozen reviews of this thing i'm looking for people who you know uh got what i got from it and i've read some good ones but i think the the, the best one i read just a little while ago <clears throat> by a guy named carl wilson uh, from Slate. He's a Canadian music critic. And I'm only going to read three paragraphs here. It's One is the very first paragraph of the article. The next one's from the middle. And then I'm going to read the very last paragraph. And they pair up nicely. So let me turn on my brightness here. Uh, so it starts by talking about the, the, the two cops that are trying uh, <laughs> fruitlessly to, to stop their performance, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, in, in, in England... One of the nicknames they have for cops is Bobby's. Right. Right. So the, the, he starts here by writing, uh, the baby-faced Bobby is one of the many indemnable additions to Beatles lore to be found in director Peter Jackson's new bo- documentary, Get Back, which pr- premiered in three parts over the Thanksgiving weekend on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. The chubby-cheeked London copper, who can't be much past 21, was previously glimpsed in the footage of Let It Be the 1970s original behind-the-scenes look at the creation of what became the Beatles' final album. He's one of two officers who come to Apple Records HQ on Salville Row to try and mostly fail to shut down the legendary January 30th, 1969 rooftop performance that climaxes the film. By the way, who the fuck plays on the roof in the winter in England? Like, Yeah, oh, I can't... <laughs> I was like, I can't feel my fucking fingers. We can't keep playing. I can't play. I can't right. make like, chords anymore. At, at that point, I think Libya would have been a better choice, honestly. Right. <laughs> so he continues here. But only now do we get to hear the ganglier one. I think he's PC Ray Dag and the other PC Ray Shelver. They both have the first names, of course, they're partners. I, I don't know what PC stands for. I'm guessing public constable. Is that? Yeah, or police constable. I'm not really Something sure. like that. Uh, haggling at length with the Apple staff in the office front office or front hall, his helmet strapped dangling awkwardly to his chin. They've been there have been thirty noise complaints down at the station already. PC Dag repeatedly moans. If the band is up there making a film, can't they just dub in the sound later? 
one of them actually says this. Uh, yes, as yes. he laments from the depths of his uh, prudent English guts, he says, surely this can't be necessary, is it? <laughs> I love so, how polite they were. It's like, even though they were being dickheads, like it's just so funny how like even British people, when they're like, you know, chuffed, they can't help but be like polite about it. Like, uh, yeah, except for the one lady, she's like, "Oh, that's rubbish. It's rubbish." Oh yeah, no. Some of those, yeah. some of the people on the street were were just fucking douchebags. But just, just like a caricature of, of British. <laughs> oh, they disrupt local businesses around here. <laughs> like, fuck. This off, isn't dude. proper. This is not proper, indeed. You know, just like total. Care, like Monty Python version of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so he continues here. Getback's heart lies within these uh, iterative evolutions and the creative relationships they help to make and unmake. It is about growing up as these people are still doing and what you gain and lose along the way. And certainly like most of the songs and symbols the Beatles are most famous for, it is about love. In Get Back, Jackson allows us to observe such patterns directly as never before. It's taken this movie's long and winding road onto and across our screen to track them, one tragically longer, as it turns out, than what two of us refer to as the road that stretches out ahead. In the, uh, in the flower pot conversation, the conversation that was recorded from a flower pot without them knowing, uh, Paul tells John he's sure that whatever their personal differences, when the Beatles are all in their old age, they'll understand and be singing together again. A bullet a decade later is going to sunder that dream. Heartbreakingly, watching Get Back, you can't help but be certain Paul would have been right. If only. So no, PC Dag, perhaps none of this is strictly necessary, but love always has a way of disturbing the peace. Hmm. That's good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's really uh, true is that like, that's the biggest thing I get from this. Cause you know, you get the idea you've had, we've had the idea as just fans of the Beatles for the longest time that, you know, and from the let back movie and the way it was cut together, where it was just the fucking arguments and the dour, like, you know, rehearsal broken takes and all that. Right. And then the concert at the end, you really get the idea like, Oh, these guys never want to see each other again. But watching this, I really got the idea like, no, these guys are are like best fucking friends. You know, they're obviously a little weary of spending so much time with each other, but they're not, you know, like this, 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 um, you know, myth that people had about like how Yoko Ono and Paul McCartney were like at each other's throats during the recording oh. of this album. It's it couldn't be and yeah. the whole myth of Yoko breaking up the Beatles in general, I think, can finally they even be put joke to bed after that. Paul fucking joke jokes about, about it. it. Like, oh, a bunch of lads are gonna be sitting around in 50 years saying Yoko broke the Beatles up because he sat on an amp. It's like, yeah, that's but that's literally what fucking people did. Talk about um, waiting to like 50 years to be vindicated for something you never did. Jesus. Yeah, and, and you see how much they like enjoy the fact. Like, there's even a, a point where somebody says something like makes a I don't, it wasn't one of the band members, but somebody says something about Yoko always being there, and Paul like defends the fact that she's there. You know, he's got he's Linda. like, yeah, who am I to like? It's they love Lin they love each yeah. other. What am I going to say? Basically? Linda's there, and in, in the third part, uh, <laughs> you know, Paul, who has not yet married uh, Linda, um, the Heather, her eight year old daughter, who is not Paul's uh, right, actual Linda's blood daughter, first marriage is like, yeah. just having a fucking ball you know and i tweeted this out i was like i tweeted out a picture of uh, ringo looking down at heather mccartney saying you know um uh 
finally learning who actually adorably broke up the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, then she was great. She was you know fucking running around and like sitting on top of his neck yeah. as he's trying to record like you know. Song. Oh, I love when she's <laughs> she's like great. she's trying to sing like Yoko by just like screaming with <laughs> <in> a microphone. <laughs> and right. Paul even or no, is it John? John or Paul even says like. <clears throat> Like yells out Yoko's name, like you know, indicating <laughs> the kids picking up. Right. So yeah, well, right. I mean that, Back and that's and that's like the real overwhelming vibe of it is it's just you know you could tell it's a family and that they love each other and that it's not you know and shit went bad. Actually, you see the real villain of of the uh, Beatles. You know, uh, the real architect of their breakup in a lot of ways was Alan Klein, this manager. Yeah. They ended up. Uh, meeting and that John was clearly taken by like he unfortunately got taken by a lot of people in his life like John always has been in search of something you know like and and you could tell like because he, he had you know a fucked up childhood his mom get killed by a by a, I don't know if it was by a drunk driver or just by a car you know when he was really young and he grew up with a strict uh aunt and like he's just always been in search of a father figure and in search of somebody to no kind chill. of chill yeah he's got no chill and he and like you know and he falls in with like these gurus and all these you know that's why he went through like super religious phases and then super like oh, yeah. atheistic phase and like <laughs> oh i love the moment where they ask uh ringo they're like hey so did did you like that trip to india he says not really <laughs> no not really <laughs> um ringo but, is just he's such like the like <laughs> he is the audience in that i know movie. i know he he's just so like over it but just like total chill like complete chill i know they're having uh, they're having he, that 20 minute discussion about like oh should we go up to oh i don't know if we should go up to the and rose like oh god go up to the roof i want to go up to the roof and that's it i love it i love how ringo <laughs> fucking decided it he's just like overruled we're going up to the roof right <laughs> fucking great uh, um, and we gotta no. we gotta mention uh billy preston too because well, yeah, damn i want to before we get to him though i do want to yeah. mention alan klein because people uh, may not really, but like you, this is the first, you know, they capture and let it and uh, get back how, you know, John met with him to, seemingly in secret. Like he basically like invited John over his house and, you know, talked to him for six hours and really kind of like wormed his way in there. And he's eventually, you know, Paul eventually didn't, him and Paul did not click. And it seems like, the, you know, out this Alan Klein guy from what Glenn Johns was saying is the kind of scumbag who like to a to a melt you know mega star like john lennon kisses his ass but to like anyone else treats you like you're you know scum of the earth sort of thing mm -hmm. um and paul didn't fucking like him and that was like the biggest friction point between them is that john wanted him to manage them going forward and paul wanted linda's father's uh because like linda's like came from like the kodak eastman like dynasty or family or whatever like huh, he, he yeah so he wanted somebody um i think her father her somebody related to her to manage them who had actually done that before um and that was like the big fucking friction between them and that's where the breakup happened and then you know after that obviously all the shit happened with you know phil specter coming in and ruining a bunch of fucking songs on let it be and all that shit happened and the movie getting cut together all that happened after the breakup which is why right all that shit happened like because that if if they were all four of them together in a room like you know those schmaltzy strings wouldn't have been on long and winding road or let it be or the fucking horrible mixes on across the universe and you know that movie wouldn't have been cut together the way it was but they had been broken up by that point um yeah phil specter who went on to be convicted of shooting a woman in the face in his home 
by the way, um, who's dead now. I forgot that he died. So fuck that guy. Oh yeah. I forgot that he did too. Yeah. He just died like last year, I think. Right. Mm -hmm. Two years ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, he, um, but so yeah, Alan Klein really was honestly the one who broke up the Beatles probably in the long run. Um, but so, you know, but again, you, you really do get the sense though, that like when a lot of this business shit was behind them, you know, 10, 15 years later, they easily could have, you know, gotten all back together and did a show or just played, you know, did a special, did an album, right. did something, you know? Well, I and, mean, they did the anthology stuff. They kind of came back together for that. The three. Right, of them. right. Post John. I mean, <clears throat> now, and post John, you knew they were going to come together. I mean, that was not, you know. Right. I mean, they did have a song called Come Together, so they have to you know, <laughs> at some point. But no, the moment when when Paul says, and then there were two, I fucking cried because the two that are still alive is the same two right. that he mentions in that. I, I mean, there, there's a couple points in this whole fucking eight hour emotional fest that I, I did cry because how can you not? Right. Uh, unless you're fucking inhuman but yeah that was that was a that was a big one because it's it's like they they see what's coming like they know what's coming and we know what's coming and it's it's just it's prolific how well they knew each other to know that like you know love takes a lot of work but sometimes if you love someone you have to let them go right right and, and yeah and yeah. i mean and that's just the thing is when you see them together like playing together you know that like if they could just get around all this other bullshit they'd be fucking fine because when they're in a room and really like clicking and really just, you know, cooking with gas in the right like room, because in the, the right first room was like a gymnasium and they were just, Oh, like, that was horrible, you know. horrible fucking environment to record an album. In. I mean, <laughs> yeah. who the fuck decided that this big fucking, it's like a soundstage that you build like an ocean set on for like Titanic. Like that was not a right. studio well, where you fucking the, record the people around them were thinking we're going to do all this and then build a set and then redo another like, Hey Jude moment you know, where we have the whole audience around. Right. Them. Like that's what, that was the idea. And they quickly realized that like, well, that was mm. last year. <laughs> and this right. year we want to do, you know, and that's how fast they were changing and moving and realizing like, we don't want to do that. We want to do something else, you know? Oh, they, always um, evolving. Like up until the end, their music. But yeah, but you know, they amazing. also had enough money. They could do that where they could have an entire mm. crew of people at, you know, waiting on them hand and foot. And then they can be, you know, be like, you know what? Well, they don't like this one. We want to go over this one instead. <laughs> so. Right. Well, I love that they're just casually like, oh, who's going to pay for it? It's like, oh, well, EMI should pay for it. It's like, well, we are EMI. Like, you know, they're just fucking. Right. But you realize whatever. everybody there is working hard. You know, they all right, have a job. Right. That, like the road manager who's like furiously writing down every little change to the lyrics, you yeah. know, and he's like pouring their drinks. He's like fucking. Big you know, fucking chungus that he is huge, now. Huge now fucking dude. Looks like uh, Eric Weirheim from Tim and Eric fame. Um, and, and he's also the, there to like physically block the police from getting past <laughs> the doorway to the polite like, British way too. It's like, Oh, well, I don't oh, know. Yeah. I think uh, maybe I can go. What, why don't I go my up hands on both railings and just kind of lean towards <laughs> you. So you make it clear that you're not getting past me. If anyone understood the, his assignment, it was that guy. <laughs> well, I love how they stall them to the lobby. Cause it's clearly like, well, we know obviously that they're doing it without a permit. And like, he's like, Oh, well, why don't I go check if, uh, you know, maybe we could turn one of the PAs off. Let me go up. And then like comes back 15 <laughs> minutes later it's like oh well now i couldn't turn the one off oh, maybe if i, I go back up the, the young woman of that lobby also oh, fucking great assignment where they're they, they, they wouldn't even tell them they were on the roof either they wouldn't oh tell no them they were on the roof 20 minutes later they, they told them they, that right they're like oh oh yeah oh they're on because they thought they were just like you know in a room with windows open or something like oh right. no they're on the they're on the roof <laughs> like you didn't tell us they're on the fucking roof like oh we didn't oh i, I guess they're up on the roof <laughs> 
Oh man, and those kind like again, you know, it, it's it's great to just watch like British like people do anything because if those cops were American, they would have fucking you know, they would have kicked the door down into the roof like you know ten minutes after they had arrived. Like yeah, they, they would have shot the dog and kicked it. And fucking, <laughs> right, yeah. shot Ugh. the receptionist like just fucking. Um, but no, I, yeah. So let's yeah, I, I took some notes, so I do want to get into some stuff. Yeah, you mentioned Billy Preston, and you know he really fucking saved uh, saved the film but also saved the album because they were you know in a bit of a rut creatively even if it what if they weren't at it as each other's throats as much as like you know the original let it be film had us uh led us to believe they couldn't get it together like you'd watch them do takes of shit and it just wasn't fucking clicking uh of, of, of get back and you know of two of us and right. it just was like not there and you're like this just sounds like like shit well, and you know everyone's talked about how like you know the the elusive fifth beetle right and the fifth beetle right. has been many different people at different times but nobody's been the fifth beetle as much as billy preston was and right i knew how <sighs> important he was to this album before i saw this but i didn't expect it to be such like a visual night and day difference where right. these songs just came to life in a different way and the way that they're as a band behaving towards each other changed too. And part of that could just be like, well, you know, couples are arguing and then company comes over and they act perfectly. Right. There's a little bit of that factor, I'm sure. But also just like they didn't they didn't plan for this. He just showed up one day and was like, hey, how's it right. going? And sat yeah, in with them. Yeah. And it was such a profound change mm-hmm. in the direction of the music and the mood in the studio that John Lennon bought him out of his current contract in order to sign him onto Apple records so he could be on the fucking album. And he even continued and like had his own uh, like solo contract to continue recording with Apple records after that, which is crazy. Like that's just like he, he wrote that song, nothing from nothing, which I didn't even fucking know, but I was, I went to look at it. You know, that nothing from nothing means nothing song. That's, that's Billy Preston. Like I, I've heard that song a million times. I had no idea. Yeah, that was a Billy Preston original, and yeah, it's fucking. And he's also he's, he's only so twenty three. He's twenty three wow. years old, and he's already played with um, Ray Charles, I think Ray Charles and somebody else who was huge. I don't want to say James Brown, but somebody else. I it was Stevie Wonder, it. but I think it was Stevie Wonder. I think you're right. right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and and but yeah, I mean, and it's just you know, and and again, that's another thing where you know you've seen him in the in the performances from the rooftop concert, which everyone's seen. You know, whether you've seen let it be or not the original movie um and you just know him from those like oh yeah it's that guy that sat in with them on that um and i do remember like a line in one of the beatles biographies about like oh well how you know everyone was on their best behavior once billy showed up but again it's just so black and white and when you actually see like his introduction into the dynamic and you see that it's like genuinely just lifts everyone's spirits and they really start to fucking you know, it's it, it's just amazing how all the songs right. start clicking. I mean, they were talking about him earlier in the movie, like when they were just bullshitting about like, uh, you know, we really, oh, we really we could really use an extra player in here because, you know, uh, I got to pl- who's going to play bass on this song? I have to play piano like, you know, on one of right. Paul's songs. And it's like, oh, you know, oh, I guess I'll do bass uh, uh, Harrison or whatever. And, and it's just. It, it, they were trying to play him live and it just wasn't fucking clicking. And it, it's just amazing. The fucking difference. Well, it, the, the whole reason there. why they were famous in the first place is they're playing American blues songs. So they were like many English acts in the sixties. They were getting rich off of the 
you know, the things that poor black people created musically. So to, you know, actually have a, a black American come and play uh, <laughs> on the record kind of makes sense. You know, I mean, they are basically lifting from, uh, you know, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's just amazing to see their faces, how happy they all were at that moment or, you know, from the moments going forward, once he starts playing with them and he's fucking beaming too. Cause he's like, Holy shit, I'm playing with the fucking Beatles. <laughs> right. so you like, can tell he's that, like that marking out the entire time. Ways. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. It, it's, it's just, it's remarkable. And, and again, you mentioned liner notes, you know, you read all the shit and it, it's not real until you're sitting down for hour after hour with these people and they become real. You feel like, you know them and you're just like, Oh my God, this was, like this is like what else exists that we haven't seen yet <laughs> you know right I, I just i don't know I how anyone this could watch their this other late albums you and, know and not want to continue it you know i don't want this to end i want it to keep i mean you understand how you know they they had their you know different careers and went in different directions and, and they all made great stuff but it was never you know i mean you can say george has some songs that were better than songs that were you know the beatles did that's that's fine but like they were never they better never, than when they were together it no just, and that's it, a fact <laughs> and it's amazing because you could see you know how prolific mccartney was i, I mean and i said this to you the other day when i was watching i was like it, he just is like he would have been a fucking composer like in the in like the, the 1800s or whatever the you know he just has this composer's brain like he's got this savant brain for music composition because you could hear him like just you know when he's little things where you think like oh yeah get back simple song but then you hear him going all right john so here go loan this part and then here ringo do this fill like do, do, and, and then like you know all he hears everything in his fucking head and puts it together and he yeah. doesn't read sheet music which is fucking incredible none of them read sheet music which is always an inspiration to me because i never bothered to learn fucking sheet music when i was learning to play guitar um Yet they 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 can create these amazing you know just by just by humming them and like tapping it out and fucking you know well some of them could, out. <laughs> some of them need a little bit more help. Uh, one of my no, favorite right, right. scene, my <laughs> favorite <laughs> scene is Paul from the John's beginning special. of episode three. <clears throat> beginning of episode three when uh, Ringo's trying to play the piano, right? And no, Ringo's <laughs> yeah. a really good drummer, but he can't sing and he can't really doesn't understand notes very well. Um, and everyone's kind of like chuckling at him, you know, like not taking it seriously. And George comes over and takes it very seriously and tries to help him and is trying to teach him different notes and chords. And it's just like, you can tell that Ringo's like very, like he looks vulnerable in that moment. And he's very trusting of his friend, George. And it's just like the, the most like, uh, just, yeah, you want to hug him. You want to hug both of them. Just be like, just. Get get these workaholics away and let these two just kind of fucking chill together, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> right, and and you um, feel bad for George too during this because you could tell like there's very much, and that was another thing where you know you always got you always hear like oh well you know they always and George would always say like oh whenever they would work on one of John or Paul songs we'd spend so much time on it and when it was my song we'd knock it off in a couple takes but you could tell his confidence was never you know really there until the end. I mean George. Yeah. You know, he got like two two songs a record, like later in their career, like early on, he really barely ever got a song. But, you know, later on, like from White Album on, I guess he would get like a song aside, basically, you know, one song each side of the LP. Um, And not until this album did he really start becoming the prolific songwriter he'd, he'd turn out to become because, you know, he had um, 
was it for uh for you blue on this album and he had uh uh fucking what was the other song uh, i can't uh, remember so i was thinking um, about his, his his best song he ever did for the beatles which was here comes the sun which like the weird thing which about his, right his after, songs right. were well his songs never really felt like they fit with paul and john's songs on the record except for on abbey road because they go into that eight minute long she's so heavy and it's just droning on and on and on and on and you're just like when is it gonna fucking end and then it ends and there's this silence on the record and then you hear right. and it's just like oh thank god <laughs> it's like this incredible literally feels like the sun bright. coming out after a storm is what it feels like and um, and something on that record like which you know his two best songs he's ever written where he wrote probably in the cycle of this album because he plays a real proto version of something with them that's you know not at all he can't he can't figure out the, the second line which is great he's just like something in the way she moves and, and like john's like oh it attracts me like a cauliflower like he's just trying to find something <laughs> something just, to fit just say whatever is in your heart like cauliflower <laughs> it's just like what well or and just, that's the thing is because because all the songs on abbey road were recorded during these sessions also but written at abbey the very road least yeah was released after they broke up Right. So this was, it was basically well, a whole so, record of B sides uh, or not B sides, but unreleased tracks. So like we, we got like barely any footage of them recording everything that's on Abbey, Abbey Road. So there could be a whole nother eight hours worth. So of, of they footage. wrote. So from what I understand, they wrote a lot of Abbey Road and recorded some of it during the Let It Be sessions. But they actually did come together again to record and then finalize Abbey Road. So this wasn't even their did last they? album. Okay. Yeah. Right, but well, let it be came out later because of the litigation and because of the movie being tied up and right. all the production around the 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 project of let it be are we going to make this a tv show are we going to make this a movie like so i think that's the reason that came out later even though it was recorded prior to abbey road they actually did come together again and p- apparently the recording sessions for abbey road were a lot less contentious than the let it be sessions which again is why I always thought Let It Be had a very contentious recording, but you don't get that sense at all when you actually watch right. it. So, that, so Abbey Road must have just been them not being like, "All right, guys, this is probably the last one. Let's just fucking have fun with it." And you get some of their best fucking songs ever on Abbey Road. You get, oh yeah, you know, I love the medleys, all the medleys on the medley. Album the, the whole side too is that fucking great medley of all the little like minute and a half, you know, Mean Mister Mustard, Polythene Pam. Right golden slumbers came into the bathroom window but you also get <laughs> oh darling which is well, maybe mccartney's one of his best songs by for at least my one of my favorite songs i've never been it. a fan of that one i think it's the the tone on the guitar always was kind of jarring to me but you know uh, it, it honestly that should have been a john song like he should have like that should have been the one song that paul wrote where he's like <laughs> you know what this is like a lennon song vocally like that right. that probably would have worked better as a Lennon song, even he though he fucking sang me. his ass off. <laughs> you just reminded me of the, the old 90s SNL sketch where it's uh, Chris Farley doing his like talk show <laughs> interviewing yeah. Paul McCartney. He's like, he's all nervous, you know, and he's like, so, so you remember when you sung that in the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take? <laughs> did, did you mean that? Paul's just like, yeah, yeah, I totally meant that. <laughs> <laughs> That, that was, was so such a cool. fun character chris farley made of just like that the extremely awkward interviewer <laughs> just incredibly yeah incredibly fanboy fucking yeah, it, was, it was such, such a, a different character. character that he played most the rest of the time which was like over the top and screaming he just did like such this great reserved you know, hey remember when you were in the beatles <laughs> it was so cool <laughs> oh 
Rest in yeah, peace, yeah, Bob Marley and John. Um, and yeah, no. So uh, just a couple of quick notes. Oh, so the <laughs> the roof. The, the the craziest thing about it was how fucking ri- like they were like, oh, I don't know if the roof's gonna the roof is gonna hold everybody. It's pretty, you know, the weight of everyone and all their instruments. And I'm thinking in my head, like it's a fucking roof. Like what do you you know? You go up to the roof of like a a you know apartment building, and it's like a big cement thing. And and then you see them on the roof and i was like i've never seen a roof that looked more rickety in my fucking life on a big building it had it those like like those boards wood boards. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like a fucking pirate ship like what the fuck yeah i well i think those boards they put up there specifically for the concert so that you if there so? was okay. water they wouldn't have cords and shit laying on the actual roof that it would maybe, maybe elevate a little bit but the boards didn't look like they were even nailed down they just no, they, they weren't were laying they were just like laying on top of something george like steps on one at one point and, like the front end of it like flaps up i was like oh fuck. Oh, right <laughs> well and you notice there was, there. there's no there's no railing mm-hmm. on the roof they had to construct a railing out of like uh fucking you know whatever you like bandstand type equipment Right. And the brain yeah, very makeshift. You know, and people are leaning on it. I'm like, dude, you're gonna fuck it. that thing could go over the edge at any moment. Yeah. Um <laughs> so yeah, I mean, again, like everyone mocked the, you know, Lindsay whatever the guy, the filmmaker's name was for continually saying, Let's go to Libya. And they're just like, No, dude, we're not gonna fucking Libya. But like when you when you look at what the amphitheater stage looked like in Libya, you're like, That doesn't look too bad to me. <laughs> no, I mean that look that looks fucking amazing, but yeah, looks I, like I, I can also i can also agree like i don't want to go to fucking libya i I agree with ringo on that but like but no yeah you're right actually that was the first thing i thought of was like red rocks that just amazing you know amazing backdrop to you know to a concert sort of thing well Uh, and then he said he was he was pitching idea of like doing like a uh a concert on a cruise ship and George is like, that's insane. And it's like, that's like a thing now. That's like a fucking thing people will spend. Right, and it wasn't back then at all. Right. Like, you go book a cruise and you go watch, like, you know, a dozen bands. Kiss, or- Kiss has their own fucking cruise. Right. <laughs> the fucking jam band back in the ni- or late 90s, early 2000s started doing that. They have fucking jam cruise where you just go watch fucking 50 Fish, bands. Like, right. Fish had a cruise. They still probably do have, like, a right. cruise every year. Fish and, like, all those fucking bands. Um... But yeah, it's just, you know, uh, (laughs) so I, you know, it just really, truly an amazing experience. I, I, it really helped me kind of, you know, rekindle my love for the Beatles, like in in a way that I didn't, like you said, like, I never was like, oh yeah, I'm not really into the Beatles anymore. You're always just like, you know, you love the Beatles, but you listen to them so much that you don't like, you know, go back all the time to listen to them because it's just you know it, it's just what you you know oh you you know they're exactly great exactly what you not, remember yeah right and, but then it's like it's not even nostalgia quite it's just when you hear the different versions you're like oh he's so close to getting it he's, right. it's almost it's almost there and then when you hear the final product it's just like you feel like you helped birth it with them just by right, being right. in the room you know and you realize why so many people would spend hours just hanging out watching them because you're watching something historic you're watching, you know, I mean, they're all fucking babes back in their mid 20s, right? They're all easy on the eyes, right. obviously, but they're also just creative fucking geniuses, you know, like everything they're doing, like, you know, they're spending they, they, at one point they joke, like, you know, you're spending like two shillings per foot of, <laughs> of audio 
on every every moment you're spending that much money <laughs> right which i think they were exaggerating a little because <clears throat> i don't think audio tape cost that much back then but uh it's still like it's a really expensive production there's a the reason like it's why... affecting you glenn johns with your fucking big fur coat you don't seem too <laughs> exactly <fucking> yeah <laughs> and, and you realize that they know that this could be the last time they ever get these guys on tape together because they're so right. chaotic you know, they're so loving, but they're also so chaotic. They're like, we got to get every last ounce we can squeeze out of them um, because there's money to be made. <laughs> right. 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 And, you know, but again, like if you looked at this footage as a filmmaker in 1969, 1970, and we're like, yeah, we're going to put this out. People would be like, there's no fucking way. Even Disney <laughs> right. was like, looked at this footage and says, there's no fucking way. We're not going to have all the smoking and all the swearing and making jokes about boy scouts masturbating there's no fucking way and to their credit uh paul and ringo and yoko said then you don't get to have the footage you either show us how we really were or you right. don't get this footage disney said you're the boss <laughs> and i love anything <laughs> that takes disney down a peg as far as what they can get away with well they, so. they, they couldn't help themselves they had that that hilarious disclaimer at the beginning this film uh, depicts uh, uh, scenes of cigarette smoking, uh, profane language, and or something, something, uh, yeah, profane language and cigarette smoking. Oh, your discretion is advised. In like, case you didn't know what happened in the sixties, uh, people smoke cigarettes constantly right. around children too. Like that's you know, like just just the whole fucking sanitized version of of everything. I hate to sound like Dennis Leary, but you know, fuck Disney. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, like early nineties, Dennis Leary was right. He, he eventually kind of went down the sort of pseudo right wing rabbit hole, but like, you know, th a lot of those like anti, uh, anti censorship people had the right starting point. They, they eventually turned that into anti PC, which they eventually turned into like anti don't tell me to not, you know, use racial slurs, which is where that kind of went downhill but like they, they they at least were initially on the right track i think a lot of those, those yeah guys they just the got hung 90s. up on it too you know right because, like chappelle's because doing right now he's a, if you watch this and you get stuck on the fact that they <clears throat> swear and smoke cigarettes then you're missing the point right and and if right. somebody when you have a blanket policy you know a no tolerance policy uh that doesn't take into account you know the nuance or the context of things that's when you get in trouble like i get it you don't want to promote smoking or I guess not swearing to children because like, like kids don't fucking swear. Right. Come on. <laughs> like, also uh, what kid is going to sit and watch a fucking seven and a half hour documentary about a bunch of guys sitting in a room, play, you know, like somebody who's seriously. not old enough to swear is not going to be interested in, in the fucking Beatles documentary anyway. Like that's, that's like the, if you're, if you're too young to hear fucking, you know, profane language, you're probably not going to appreciate this movie anyway. Like. There's a great series on Netflix um, appropriately uh, hosted by Nicolas Cage about uh, oh, yeah, the that. history of it. swear words. And it's not just about the history of swear words. It's about the psychological necessity of swearing and why we do it and why it releases like chemicals in our brain that allow us to function in stressful situations. And I, right, I recommend right. anyone go watch it because it's really really good <laughs> and I, the fact I saw that, that trailer Nicholas Cage yeah. the fact that Nicholas Cage is just like teaching you the history of the word fuck <laughs> and the word shit <laughs> is just so like thematically appropriate 
with his great fucking oxycontin slur like it's just a great just a oh great great he's fucking so host good. for that he's gonna be in a vampire movie he's gonna play dracula I'm, I'm, you know no no yeah i'm so excited i it's amazing too because it's a renfield movie but he's gonna play dracula and right. then i was like he would have been such a good renfield when he was younger like what a, what a, just a weirdo fucking creepy with his fucking weird hairline like he would have been a perfect uh, renfield in like in like yeah. the 92 well, dracula or something i, I just know? i just rewatched the 92 dracula like last week right and yeah. it, it's great but it, like tom Seth waits is great tom waits oh yeah well the, the only thing i don't like about the movie is the whole movie feels like it's shot on a soundstage and none of the none of the outdoor scenes feel real yeah, to me. yeah a little bit. um but gary oldman's fucking fascinating in that movie he's he's amazing um the tone the mood of it the music's a little dated but it's like early 90s coppola so like what do you expect um but like it, it, the only thing i don't i kind of don't like is that like uh tom waits is brenfield and dracula don't have any actual scenes together in the original novel bram stoker's dracula like they were it, like they had scenes right you know, and, and, and in the movie like, like what the relationship right. is in that movie so hopefully this movie does mm. does a bit more of that and kind of uh, explains why the character also, even exists <laughs> also uh, uh keanu sticks out i, I love keanu but he sticks out like a sore thumb in that movie that fucking that british accent he tried to affect oh, was, uh, certainly a choice let's <laughs> <laughs> just leave well, it um, what's her fucking Winona's great in it because she totally no, gets into great. like the like the late eighteen hundreds kind of vernacular of like how over the top and you know fainting couch kind of motif of that. Like she does a great job at that. So. Winona Winona's such an underrated actress. She's fucking great in everything. I, I've never seen her in something and, and like not been like, wow, she's one of the best parts of this movie. And even today, like even with fucking Stranger Things, she's great on that fucking oh, show. Oh, she was like, fucking great. Yeah. Well, and. <laughs> I love you remember the 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 um award speech that David Harbour gave where he's like talking about fucking punching people punching Nazis in the face and, yeah and she's just like like looks like she's fucking high on drugs and it's just like you know <laughs> she's like yeah yeah sounded by every word that's coming out. <laughs> it, and you just wonder is she just like that or is right. she was she acting or like what was going on but yeah a thousand a thousand um, memes stemmed from that moment right. <laughs> going back to um, 2016 but- and so, you know, and of course, you know, we're 48 minutes into the pod and this is basically just a get back review. And I knew that that was going to happen when you we were talking put it in the title. You got to put it in the title. Yeah, it's going to be the get back review plus some other shit. You know, that'll be the name of the episode. Right. Um, but yeah, and I knew that was going to happen this week because this is basically the this is dominated like discourse this week um, because everyone watched it, you know, and there were there were a lot of really just like stick up their ass people who are just like i don't get it like i but you know and they're of course like the people who just are professional critics who fucking hate you know anything that that doesn't like you know uh, feature a bunch of buildings blowing up and like people flying you know it's just like there were the critics who didn't like it who are just professional critics and have never you know made anything in their lives or tried to make anything um and and i and i was very much like thinking about the fact that this is you know, this is a movie for, and this is a series or movie or whatever, mini, whatever you want to call it, um, for creatives. Like this is, this was made for creative people. Like if you're, and not to say like successful creative people, but just people who enjoy creating art of some type, whether it's movies, music, you know, anything, literally anything, just literal art on a page. It's just, a, this is just a documentary about the creative process and just the amazing exactly. fucking. It's about process. Yeah um and how that process succeeds and how process can fail too there's no 
you know, there's no right or wrong answer. But again, you right. know, it's, it's also about people that love each other dearly uh, and also can hurt each other right. tremendously. I mean, some of the things John says, you're just like, dude, like, what? <laughs> there are so many times where I'm just like, or, or even with like Paul, where I'm just like, dude, just stop it. Just pretend you give a fuck for a second. You're, you're like, this would all be so, like, there's just so many times where you're just like, yeah, yeah. You know, that thing he does where he's like not really listening or he's pretend, you know, he's pretending to listen to just kind of get through the, get through the, the not argument, but like get through the kind of conflict. And it's just like, right. you know, well, if you how just many times you've been around, yeah, think about how many times you've been around your family and you just want to be somewhere else and right. you're not listening to anything they're saying. You know, right. That's, these, these guys have been around each other for 10 years. <laughs> right. Right. Um, Living on top of each other at times, then, you know, when they're on uh, tour and shit. The, uh, the the hidden microphone conversation they have, where you hear how they talk when they're when no one's around, and it's it's like, you know, the fact that they were recorded without their knowledge or consent is totally unethical. But again, it's fifty years ago, and clearly they don't care now. I mean, right? You know, and they didn't care enough to to say no. You can't put that in there. When Peter Jackson actually showed this to the Beatles, the you know two remaining Beatles and and Yoko, um, he got no notes back <clears> from them. Wow. Notes being the things that they want changed. Right, right. No notes from anybody. And he wouldn't say who said this, but one of them said to him, it was one of the most stressful things they've ever experienced in their life having to watch that. <laughs> because they don't know what's in the foot. Like they, they, they remember everything. Or they it's got to be Paul. Because I mean, why would Ringo, Ringo doesn't give it? Ringo's fucking, you know. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. But like they know the whole thing. So they're wondering like, <clears throat> Did you only put in the fucking fighting or did you try to make right. us look happy the whole time? Like, cause you can, you, you know that Peter Jackson is trying to make him look good. You know, like he's going to show some strife. Right, cause he's a fucking super fan. Like all exactly. of you know, like he, <laughs> he, he doesn't have wanna... to be there for it either when they shot right. it. So he doesn't have a grudge against them for putting them through fucking hell. So yeah, I mean, but still like he, he talked about how he, he did interviews with everybody involved who's still alive, not just, hey, I'm going to show the footage, I want to know what people remember about what wasn't filmed. He even interviewed the two fucking cops to, to ask them, <laughs> wow. like, what do they remember? Yeah. That's fucking that's, cool. That's I'd love to hear. Filmmaker Peter, Peter Jackson was um, that he would even care, let alone go to take the effort to do that as a documentary filmmaker. Uh, I mean, that's bona fides right there. That, I, that I really hope he like about what's outside the camera. Right. I really, and I'm glad, and like somebody made a, you know, mention the fact that, uh, you know, it, what a fucking great, you know, decision to not make this one of those documentaries where you have, you know, like Dave Grohl pop up and be like, oh yeah, man, I remember when Let It Be came, <laughs> you know, like shit like that. Like, it's just, oh, what a, yeah. what a great decision to not interview like any, including McCartney and Ringo, but like, just exactly. let it, let you live in that moment. And then yeah. now I'd love to see like, uh, little supplementary documentary with his interviews from all the, like you were just mentioning with like all those people right i'd love to hear what they have to say but like that didn't belong piece, in this sure. right yeah well that's that's why cinema verte is mm -hmm. you know was so controversial when it first i don't know there was a documentary film made about uh jfk's first run for president um and it, just in like the primary before right. anyone knew who the fuck he was and it was presented this is 1960 and it was, it was, uh, I forget the name of it. I think it's just called primary is the mm. name of the documentary 1960 and it's all black and white footage. And they put it out as pure cinema verite where it's just the footage and the audio and nobody talking 
to the camera explaining what you're seeing because you don't really need that if you do your job well as a documentary filmmaker. But people were like, how am I supposed to feel about this? They didn't know what to think of it at the time. Right. right. So I understand how there's some people that could watch this get back uh, now and still not understand what they're seeing because no one's telling them what to think about it. They have to just watch it and process it and pay attention. And you're probably gonna have to go back and watch it several times to catch it all, to understand everything that's happening. Um, you know, whether you know the Beatles well or not, but I certainly plan to watch more of it again. Uh, I rewatched the, the last episode last night, just so I could have it kind of be fresh in my mind. Right. Um, but like you go on Tumblr right now and just type in the Beatles and just look at all the fucking, you know, animated <laughs> gift sets of all the moments. And you're like, holy shit, did they actually say that? Or did they make that up later? <laughs> well, there's a lot of really great, like funny parodies, like of them just bantering in the studio and, you know, just the- <laughs> John, John talking about Boy Scouts masturbating because they have shorts on uh, is like so <laughs> creepy and disturbing and saying, you know, if they had long trousers, it wouldn't happen so often. And I could tell you from experience that uh, it doesn't make you go blind, but it does make you go nearsighted. <laughs> it's just like, what the f- Like, no wonder they thought this thing wasn't releasable right? <laughs> with right. shit like that. Oh, man. So, you know, and again, you know, and, 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 and I don't even want to harp on it at all, like more than for like a minute or so but like I, this also brought the 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 people out of the woodwork are like really the beatles like you really like they're, you know the people are like oh the beatles are mid or like the beatles aren't that good or i don't get it or like you know this is blah, blah, like, overrated. people think the beatles are overrated. yeah overrated like you know just fuck off like whatever <laughs> like I, I don't even have to engage you in a serious argument like you sound like a clown like you just sound like a fucking right. moron to say that but whatever you know there's, you, a, there's people... a lot of pop culture that's overrated and the beatles are not one of those things <laughs> no. the beatles are one of those things that was correctly rated as being one of the best right. ever and will be the best ever yeah and just because that's a, a, one of the rare times where like the public consciousness uh was right about something shouldn't mean that you have to be contrarian and just reject right. you it. don't need to be an edge lord just Greenwald. right right exactly <laughs> um but whatever you know and again there are a lot of you know you could I, like i would never there's a lot of bands that i would say are not for me that i wouldn't be like oh that band sucks like i've never been the biggest pink floyd fan but i would never not be like oh yeah no they're one of the most important you know cl- rock artists of, oh of yeah the, totally like totally same same deal you know it's it's the difference between something i like and the difference between something that's good or not good is not right. necessarily the same thing no, exactly like you just sound like a fucking clown when you say the beatles aren't good you could say like they're not for me which is totally fine but yeah anyway whatever you know again it, it this is just what a what a fucking joyous like just you know seven hours seven and a half hours and just i was not expecting i was like you know i watched it because it was a big release and like i've watched a lot of the random shit they put out over the last couple of years and you know enjoyed you know that thing they put out about like the hollywood bowl con like just little you know stupid little documentaries throwaway things they've done and i was not expecting this to be as heavy as it was and i just no. i can't yeah, fucking recommend I, this enough for you anybody recommended it to, to me Beatles. and i didn't even know about it and i was like what peter jackson did a beatles documentary like did we really right and i don't even like peter i don't even like the fucking lord of the rings movies so again i was not even predisposed to like (laughs) you know i like those movies once but i'm not one of those people that rewatches them over and over it's like really well that's another thing like i don't think the lord of the rings movies suck they just bored me to tears so like i i fully get why people like them and why they were you know award-winning but like not for me you know but um well that was what i wondered i was like well what, what more is there that i don't know 
You know, right. what, what do I need? It turned out quite a bit. Right. Beatles content. And then it starts and I'm like, oh my God, they're just, <laughs> he's just dumping it. This is like WikiLeaks just dumping all the fucking <laughs> secrets. That you're just like, oh my God, my government was doing what? We worked on like, it for 50 years and like. they just tweeted it out. <laughs> like, um, yeah. And, and you realize why these guys were filming everything they could. Right. Cause, cause you know, deep down, you know, they were like, this is, you know, even if we can't release this, every moment here is gold. Right. right. And, and I'm sure that they weren't just thinking about money. They were thinking about like, this is a historic moment. We know these guys are going to break up. Uh, you know, their creative process is something that we, we wish more people could see because this is not, you know, this is not the, the, the media realm that existed on television back in the late 60s you know everything right. was very manicured you know you still had, like look at the look at the sitcoms back in the 60s and 50s like everything was you know fucking leave it to beaver father knows best bullshit like that was right. that was what you saw on television when you see that then. stuffiness around them even like the, the 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 michael Lindsay hogg the director like you just see that that classic british stuffiness like trying to fucking oh, assert yeah. itself and it's just will not be fucking imposed on them which is great um <laughs> yeah but yeah, so I, you know, again, I, I can't recommend it enough. I know this wasn't even technically a movie left review, but five out of five hammer and sickles all day um, for me. Oh yeah. Same. I, um, I couldn't, I cannot recommend this enough. I got to figure yeah. out how to get my mom to watch it because she has yeah, she like, have, like smart devices. You know, right? She's got a fucking like basic rural ass spectrum cable. And I gave her my Netflix password and she hasn't watched a single thing on it. <laughs> right. So I like, I know that. I'm going to have to like make her come visit, to me visit or something. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but she's got to see it because <clears throat> if this is, this would to love it. If she's a fucking beat, you know, like any Beatles fan would, is going to love the shit. Out she's going to love this. Yeah. I just got to, you know, plan it out months ahead of time when she's going <laughs> to right. visit and have a bunch of red wine on deck and just, you know, box of tissues for when she starts crying <laughs> and I start crying. Um, uh. Because Good this is just, this like runs the gamut of every emotion you could possibly have about music, about people, about families, about love, about children, about the 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 era, the zeitgeist of the sixties. Um, it's perfect, and it was one of these things where I just I was like I didn't I didn't know how much I needed this. It's like a hole in your life you didn't know needed filling. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Or fixing, since we're talking about the Beatles. Right. It's like you go fixing to therapy and you're like, I don't need a therapist. And half an hour in, you're just like, oh my God, when can I come see you again? <laughs> right. I know. I'm so, I'm so, I'm like, where's, what's the next one? When's the sequel? What's like, what's the, but like, no, no sequel, man. This is it. But, uh, well, I mean, if we get a longer director's cut, that, that'll be great. Right. I'll take more I'll take of it, it, obviously. But, um, absolutely take it. I, I just love the, 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 you know the the attitude that Peter Jackson had going into this of of watching all the footage and leaning on you know more is more because the public just won't get to have any more of this for a long time until right. you know another fifty years goes by and, and wanting to get as much of that into our heads and our hands and our hearts uh, as possible should be the job of the director you know if there's if there's anything superfluous in this I, I didn't see it. You know, yeah, I don't, I don't absolutely. know what you would cut out of this. Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
I agree. So let's, I, I do have to get out of here soon, but let's burn through some of the other stuff we wanted to talk about. That's a lot less uh, <laughs> interesting than the Beatles. Unfortunately. Sure. Sure. So, so uh, gosh, what do I have here? Kyle Rittenhouse. Oh, there was a headline. Um, this is just like one of those uh, conservatives writing his face, face first into the point and missing it anyway. Right. Headline times of Israel. Kyle Rittenhouse is Israel. <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. Well, so and just real quick to to speed people uh, catch people up because we didn't record last week because of the holiday. We were I was busy, you were busy, whatever. Um, the uh, Rittenhouse verdict had come down in the time since we had last recorded, and shock of all shocks, they found him in uh, you know innocent, not guilty on uh, all charges brought against him. So you know exactly what we expected. Um, I was a little disappointed in the aftermath that nothing really fucking happened, but you know it, it's just. I think people are just burnt out at this point of like, it, it's just going to be the same shit over and over again with like, no, you know, and again, you know, of course he pretends to be contrite and he goes on Tucker Carlson and says, Oh, well I support black lives matter. And I blah, blah, blah. Oh, I and then he's fucking, cause what, did you what see all the meltdowns shit. from all of his supporters that were like, fuck this kid. I supported him, but not right. now. What, and like- a bunch of, what a bunch of fucking marks to think that he actually, <laughs> That he wasn't just media trained to fucking say that. I mean, what oh, yeah. a little fucking. He's got a long Nazi and of career on Fox News. Yeah. Well, yeah, um, he was. He met. He met with Trump, and he was hanging out with Jack Posobiec the other day. Like that little fucking kid is going to be, you know, the star of every right wing fucking CPAC and you know the Republican RNC. Like he's going to yeah. be everywhere until he fucking runs for Senate one day, and he's never going to be out of our lives. That little shit. No. No, and I and I hate his face. I just hate looking at his face. And yeah, I agree. I don't like to hate anyone for anything for any reason. Like I can look at Hitler's face, and I don't like feel physically like revulsion from looking at Hitler. It's like, oh yeah, that guy killed six million people. But like I look at his face, and I'm like, I could see how you could you know inspire confidence as a leader and you know do terrible things. You know, I look at Kyle Rittenhouse's face, and I'm just like, ugh, ugh. <laughs> I hate your face. No one will ever follow this man into any right. Oh, um, yeah. I don't know, just, but yeah, just, just just this headline: Kyle Rittenhouse is Israel. <laughs> right. I thought about that, and I was like, yeah, he very much is. Like for, a bunch of people claiming reasons, and of course, this article was about how they are very similar for good reasons. Of course, because they're the actual victims, even though they're portrayed the other way. When in actuality, exactly. they are the actual aggressors, even though a segment of the population is trying to present them as the victims. So he is very much like Israel, just not in the way that you think. Guy right. who wrote so, this article. You know, when you go to someone else's town with a gun and kill people, that's that's just Zionism. Like, what else are we supposed <laughs> right. to do? Right. That's, <laughs> you, which truly, house truly is Israel. I think that's it. So so much um, is so. Yeah. I had another headline here. This is this is hilarious because uh, the, the the CEOs who are you know convinced that there's a labor <clears throat> shortage are, are now trying to very hardly. Uh, hardly, not hardly as in not often, but like doing something hard. Aggressively, um, yeah. We're recording at seven at night, so I'm actually having a first drink I've had on this podcast for a while, so I'm a little, <laughs> little cheeky. Um, so this is to CN- CNBC headline. CNBC, Best Buy CEO says the trauma from rising retail thefts could force employees to quit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so just, I'm going to read one paragraph from this and then I have a poll to share. 
Although the company beat third quarter earnings expectations, Barry, whoever the fucking hit CEO of, of Best Buy is named Barry, last name Barry, said increased organized crime has put pressure on the company's financial situation and threatens employee retention. So it sounds like it's not forcing them to quit so much as forcing them to lay people off. Right. To pretend that that's the reason they're right. laying people off. Right. But, so they're, but they're pre- presenting it, though, as is like the employees are traumatized by somebody <laughs> like, like they get like they fucking give a shit. As if people aren't like, yeah, we don't give a fuck. Right. Just don't don't. So it's projecting your own worry about the company onto your employees who I guarantee do not fucking care. Who probably hate your fucking guts unbeknownst exactly. to you because you're such a fucking out of touch, rich douchebag. But yes. you know, you, you say we're all one big family enough times when you're at the top and you start to believe it. Uh, Barry said that Barry said the company is taking steps, including locking up more of its products and hiring more security to combat this problem. She emphasized that employee safety is the company's highest priority. <laughs> Love right. that. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. And said this was a horrible change in the trajectory of the business. So <laughs> the same day I see this, I see somebody on Twitter had a Twitter poll, which of course, you know, not scientific, but out of 5,170 people polled to the question, if you've ever worked retail, who would you rather have on Black Friday? And the options are customers or looters. 7% replied customers. 93% replied looters. Because looters you don't have to fucking deal with. The way you looters are more polite. They just, they just get their shit and get out. I'm they don't fucking this and leaving. I don't want to interact you. with you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't scream at you about why there are no PS5s left. Like they just fucking exactly. take them and leave. Like they no, know the no reason why no there's no PS5 because they just took it and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> why isn't there a PS5? Oh, that guy took it. Well, what are you going to do about it? Not a damn thing. Oh, they made like, <laughs> it's like, oh, they made a thousand of them and they're circling the fucking port in Long Beach right now. <laughs> like, what the fuck do you want? Oh, yeah. Swim out and get one if you'd like one. Um, oh. But yeah, that's that's fucking great. That's oh, hilarious to me. Just, and, I, and I posted that, like the two things side by side on our, on our Twitter page. But, oh gosh, I also wanted to mention this uh, wa- Waukesha, Waukesha, Wisconsin. I don't know how to say it, the word Waukesha. Um, they so say this everything. Guy, this guy, um, you know, this is like a thing with protesters that we've been increasingly worried about is people just using their car to drive into a crowd of protesters to kill them. Yeah. Right. And it started with the the thing in Tennessee guy, you know, perfect car for fucking right wing neo-Nazi fascist. To well, in Charlottesville, it was, was, wasn't that the Charlottesville? First? Right, yeah. Virginia. Yeah, Virginia. Not the, the first time, but it was the first well, time. Well, first, like, first time the right, like the alt right, was like, "Oh, hey, this is a great tool to fucking murder leftists," as we could just right. drive into you, them with our Dodge Chargers. Exactly, exactly. Favorite uh, favorite car on military bases, um, and now you have right wing southern states passing laws to make it legal to kill people with your car if they're right. protesting. So. This was not that. This was a wholesome, probably very white Christmas parade. And a man, happened to be black, uh, decided to drive his SUV through the barricades, blocking off the street, and then accelerated into the crowd and killed six people and injured over 48. Yeah, and it was horrific. It's horrific, right? Because it's just, it's like, what the fuck were you doing? And... Police even tried shooting at him to stop him. Uh, and then some people, I, I mean, I, I would speculate that 
you know, like driving through the barricade in the first place, you knew you were doing this. It wasn't like you didn't know where the fuck you yeah, were. I, I imagine there's significant mental illness. I, I haven't followed that guy's story since that that much, but I assume there was significant mental issues that with the something sky. but this is so common in america that like right, we don't right. traffic violence is so fucking common there's been i think 20 people killed by cars in chicago this year it's like double what it was last year and it's wow. it's just so because they're making cars bigger and bigger and bigger and making them go from zero to 60 in three seconds the, the yeah. fucking the the su the, the electric goes, the yeah. electric hummer the electric hummer that Biden did his little photo op in, they can go zero to 60 in three seconds, weighs 9,400 pounds. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And it weighs that much because A, it's a Hummer, and B, because the battery weighs 2,000 pounds alone. Right, the battery's gigantic for those cars. Right. Um, so they're making the cars bigger and faster and more powerful. And all it takes is just a little of the foot to mow down 20 people. Right. And there's no way the human body can withstand a 9,000 pound chunk of metal going at 40 miles an hour or 50 miles you know, an hour 60 quick aside though you mentioned the biden little photo op whatever yeah. which you know obviously people would sh- show that you know side by side with the uh the images of of trump in the in the in the in the 18 wheeler you know honking the horn and like flexing his bicep and it's like this is basically the same thing um I don't know if you noticed, but in that video, like like you were saying, the torque on it's insane because people aren't used to that kind of, you know, acceleration. And when Biden steps on the gas, he really fucking jerks the car forward. I was like, how fucking funny would it be if this is the way Biden went out? He just fucking rams himself into a wall going 70 miles an hour because he's doing some fucking PR for, you know, Ford Motor Company or whatever. For their well, new fucking piece I mean, of if, shit. If like, that happens, then uh, you know I reluctantly would have to accept Pete Buttigieg as their new president. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the funniest thing in the world is if Kamala didn't become president. If Biden fucking bites it. I mean, have you seen? Have you seen this shit where they're already floating publicly? That oh, that they're going to dump her for Buttigieg and Kamala are going to run together on the ticket. Well, like, that, imagine that's how, hilarious. Imagine how fucking right. desperate they are behind the scenes if it's this bad publicly. Well, I also saw there's a lot of, and then, you know, obviously it was circulating in right wing circles because they love to, to publicize this, but I, I, it seemed like from, you know, a, a, some decently credible like papers and shit that there's a lot of scuttlebutt that he realizes that she's a huge liability to him and that she's unelectable and that he may drop her for 2024 if he runs again because she's polling worse than him. She's fucking underwater compared to him in, in terms of uh, uh, approval rating which is like unheard of for a vice president, as we've mentioned before, because they don't fucking do anything. They just, you know, they, they make like little PR stops. So yeah, it, it, it's a, he honestly would be an idiot not to dump her if he does run for in 2024, because, you know, having a VP who's less popular and less popular than you is a massive liability and everything you're, you're told to, to work against if you're, you know, running for president. But, um, but that would be the fucking meltdown the day that they announced that she's not going to seek, you know, a reelection as VP with his, on his ticket would be unfucking believable on Twitter. He's going to have to put her on the Supreme court. That's, that's the only, <laughs> he's going to have to stash her somewhere. Right. Yeah. The only way they'll save face, but um, yeah. So, so I wanted to just, to, just to kind of illustrate how, common uh not necessarily like the deliberate killing of dozens of you know right. driving your car to a christmas parade is a bit extreme but there's a thing there's a hashtag um that 
floats around in sort of like cycling uh, urbanist liberal streets Twitter called Crash Not Accident because it is so common for news editors and, and print media to report on car fatalities as an accident. Right. Or to not even mention that there was a driver involved. They just like, imagine if every time there was a mass shooting, uh, imagine if the headline was 12 dead after a gun goes off. Well, I mean, that is what it is like when there's a cop shooting, but yes, but sure, imagine but every actual shooting like that, right? You'd be like, how did the gun go off? Oh, was there a person involved? Yes. Well, why isn't that in the headline? Right. Because every time there's a fucking mass shooting, you man shoots people is the, is the fucking headline. Right. And I just wanted to illustrate this just, just to, you know, make it painfully obvious that there's a problem with the way that we report on traffic violence, whether it's you know, incidental or intentional. CBS 58 News. Photos appear to show the red SUV involved in the Wakasha, Wakasha Holiday Parade incident. The oh, what inc- happened? Did somebody stab his tires? Like, what? What was the incident? <laughs> what would that headline tell you? Click to find out. Yeah, and look how long that, t- that it's, that's like over 10 words long. 12 words long to not mention a driver, right? Right. Next one, uh, Al Jazeera. Five dead, 40 wounded as car hits Wisconsin Christmas parade. Like, how did, was the car driving itself? It was, you know, it was in the parade and then it veered (laughs) off the route. That's obviously what happened. Yeah, it doesn't tell you anything. Fox News. Car drives through Wisconsin Christmas parade. Shots fired, wins to say. BBC, five dead after a car plows into Wakosha Christmas Parade. CBS Chicago, Wisconsin Christmas Parade, five dead over 40, 40 injured after SUV plows into crowd. ABC News, five dead over 40 injured after co- crowd after car plows into Christmas Parade. Globalnews.ca, SUV drives through Christmas Parade in Wisconsin, killing five. Only the New York Times I saw got it right, and their headline was five dead after driver plows SUV into holiday parade. Right. So that's, that's, I mean, when you have a sentence, which a headline is, although it's, you know, sort of an abbreviated sentence, it has to have a subject, right? The, the subject of an action is the person who took that action, not the thing they used in the committance of that action. Right. Right. It just, it, you know, and you th- might think, well, what difference does that make? It's like, it, it's the attitude. No, it's, it's, it, the attitude. it's the perception. It's a huge difference. I mean, we talk right. about passive voice all the time when it's, when it comes to, like I was saying, with right. police involved, involved you know, po- right. Police right. involved incident. Um, and, and it's well, the same with wonder, this. Yeah. You wonder why that is. It's like, well, all these, all these newspapers, they don't have ads for guns on their fucking websites. They have ads for cars on their websites. Right. So, so they don't want, you know, they, they, they don't want to, make the car sound like a weapon so they make it sound like oh just an oopsie right so they fail to mention that there was somebody who used it as a weapon and make it sound like it was just a you know oh just who who knows who how that could have happened right unreal unbelievable but you know i'm sure it's going to keep happening uh unfortunately i mean they keep making them bigger and faster and more powerful it's it's going to be this way more and more i had one last thing i wanted to get before you get out of here um, and this this won't take long, but um, I've noticed how, you know, about the last year or so, the media uh, and politicians have done everything possible to try to, um, you know, undermine and diminish Black Lives Matter, which they wanted to at first and then embraced 
and are now diminishing again since Black Lives Matter adopted an actual policy slogan of defund the police, right? which, of course, terrifies liberals because they don't want to have to actually do anything. Uh, and they, they like slogans that mean nothing like, uh, yes, we can, and uh, build change. back matter. Right. Yeah, just things that mean nothing, aspirational things that have no tangible goal. Uh, that they have to actually follow through with. So this is an article. I don't remember where it's from because uh, I wrote this or I copied this like a, over a week ago. Uh, support for Black Lives Matter movement is declining, according to new poll. And uh, read here a little bit. According to a national poll conducted by Civics, a nonpartisan, remember that, nonpartisan, online survey affiliated with the progressive media group Daily Costs. <laughs> Forty-four <laughs> percent of respondents overall said they support Black Lives Matter uh, movement. Another forty-three percent said they oppose it, while eleven percent said they uh, neither support or oppose. According to the poll, support for Black Lives Matter, or I'm sorry, for the Black Lives Matter movement, peaked in June 2020 at fifty-two percent, a month after George Floyd was killed. While eighty-two percent of Black respondents said they support the Black Lives Matter movement. 53% of white respondents said they opposed the movement, rejecting a pattern of public opinion uh, when it comes to racial justice movements, said Vito Robertson, the director of the Center for Critical Race Studies at the University of Houston downtown. Critical race studies sounds like critical race theory. That's scary. Um, so, yeah, just the idea that daily anything affiliated with daily costs is nonpartisan. When, when they were founded by a fucking former, well, not really former, current CIA operative, Right, and massive shitlip. Did you remember the fucking meltdowns he would have in the primaries when he would put polls up and Bernie would win every single one? So he started making you like register for his website to vote in one of his polls. Oh yeah, <laughs> like the, yeah, that's the nonpartisan fucking that that site is a great barometer of what like you know professional middle class liberals think about a subject and what they're being told to think about a subject uh, at any given time. Those are the people that vote in that poll. Like that's the yeah. only people that vote in that poll. So, I mean, the weird thing was was that, you know, if you looked at the demographics of this poll, it was definitely, you know, a difference based on race, but it was also a difference based on on age, mm. right, where younger black people overwhelmingly supported it. And it was only like very, very old black people that were opposed. Um, so this was this is just a couple of the uh, <laughs> the breakdowns here. Um, demographically, black people aged 18 to 65 were 81% to 84% in support. Uh, black non-college, college grad, and post-grad were all tied at about 82 to 83%. Uh, black males support uh, Black Lives Matter at 79%. Black females, 85%. So a little bit wow. of difference. You know, I'm sure moms are probably more worried than dads, apparently. Right, right. Um, black Democrats... 88%. Black independents, 64%. Black Republicans, <laughs> 14%. Oh, man. Gotta hand it to black Republicans. Those those 14% too. I mean, Emily is not going to be happy when she hears about that. That's all oh, I'll say about that. She, I mean, Black Lives Matter <laughs> if you're married to one, but beyond that, do not care. Um, but my, my favorite, my favorite... White Republicans, three percent. Right, of course. <laughs> like, comical. What? A, what? A, what an interesting three percent that's got to be. I'd, I'd love to 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 pick their brains. <laughs> but, oh yeah, just just like the schism of like, well, you know, I I hate everything about 
um, you know, black people, but I, I guess I draw a line at like, outright murdering them. Right. So, uh, yeah. Oh, man. Fuck. Well, it's, it's probably like a school principal. Like a, right. Like a vice principal of like a middle school is, right. is, your, right. is your white Republican 3% that supports black lives. Who really likes that nice little black kid who says hi to him every morning in the hallway before he goes into his office. That's <laughs> right. That's the, that's the, the accounting for it. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up for this week. Um, obviously, this turned into mainly just a review of the of uh, Get Back, but that's you know that's kind of what was happening this week anyway. So that makes sense. Uh, and yeah, uh, again, highly recommend it. Um, if you want to support the podcast, uh, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on SoundCloud, SoundCloud.com/slash/MoveLeft, Facebook.com/slash/MoveLeftIdiots patreon at patreon.com slash move left i am on twitter at move underscore left and i'm on twitter at bike slay yeah see you next week